right. Welcome back to the show. It looks like we have enough funding to at least get the first uh, few weeks up and that's enough to go on for at least now. And the season is going to be mind-blowingly good. I should tell you right now that this is the best season narrative has ever had, looking at, at the schedule at least of what, uh, in terms of investigations and stories we're planning, these are the biggest. There really are mind-blowing stories. So for those of you who haven't yet, this is your opportunity to say that you are a producer, a funder of this kind of content by joining us at patreon.com forward slash narrative. You get a chance to say that you are the one who put your money behind the stories that truly changed the fabric of the news cycle. And uh, there's going to be a lot of that this year as we really do take on new territory that we've never done before. It's going to be super exciting. I'm looking forward to doing it with you when the new season starts. Right now, though, what we're going to do is take a look at some of the stuff we've done in the previous seasons, particularly last season. And on tonight's show, we're going to play you a shortened version of a show we did with Rachel Bittercoffer and Eric Garland, all about the seven and a half hours, which have now become really well known because of the January the 6th committee hearings. There's seven and a half hours of missing tape of, of logs of data from the presidential logs. That means that for seven and a half hours, Donald Trump was making phone calls from somewhere but was he making them from the White House? And why, if he was making them from the White House, are they not logged as part of the presidential log? And the answer is in this show. I hope you'll enjoy some theory, but also some detail around what we think happened on that day uh, with Donald Trump. This is, again, you know, it's the kind of stuff you will not see anywhere because no one else will report this kind of independent investigation the way we have. We've thoroughly checked a lot of this investigation. We think everything we say here is plausible and possible. And we really encourage you to take a look at this because even when you look at the January the 6th hearings, when they were talking about what Donald Trump was really doing in those seven and a half hours, we're sort of stuck in this idea that he was in the dining room just off the Oval Office. But in fact, that's only because people have said he was there. We don't have any video, no photos. He just threw the photographer out. He didn't want anyone there. So, you know, was he really there? And you might say, well, where else would he go? And if he went into the dining room, where could he have gone? And the answer is through a series of tunnels. It's various places. And we go through that in the bunker, um, which will air tonight. Uh, I'm going to do that first. And then later on, you got to stick around. I have a very different take on what happened in Mar-a-Lago at a very different take on what documents are actually being sought by the Department of Justice. Mary Garland, of course, today announcing that he is going to ask court tomorrow to unseal the search warrant at Mar-a-Lago, which means we'll find out, as long as uh, Donald Trump doesn't object to this, as he might do by three o'clock tomorrow afternoon, uh, we may find out exactly what they were searching for, which would be terrific because, you know, Donald Trump Went out publicly, said, in fact, that there was a, a search undertaken at his uh, residence in Mar-a-Lago. Well, now that's no longer a secret. Mary Garland is arguing, well, let's just let it all out. Let's find out what it was that uh, Donald Trump really was so eager to keep away from everybody since he was first subpoenaed for this in the springtime. I am going to give you the full details that you've not heard anywhere else on what might be inside that safe and might be inside those documents. So that is coming up after we take a look at the bunker. It's a, a Friday afternoon after show, so you have to know the frivolity is related to the fact that it's Friday and we like to have a lot of fun on the Friday. The guests are Eric Garland, our, our very, very regular guest and co-host here. And of course, Rachel Bittercoffer joins us every Friday. She's a democratic strategist, one of the best in the country. He is one of the best future analysts and intelligence analysts out there. Together, we'll try and wrap exactly what happened to Donald Trump on January the 6th. So here it is, The Bunker. Ready for clue? <laughs> <laughs> would, you like, would you like war or coup d'etat? That's Friday. Happy Friday. <laughs> it no, was Colonel that? Mustard in the library with Eric Shu. There you go. That's the game I want to play tonight. That's exactly right. So we have been trying to figure out what happened to this Trump missing seven and a half hours. We know 
that Donald Trump was missing for seven and a half hours, at least according to the records given to the January 6th committee that's investigating the events of January the 6th. There's a missing seven and a half hours of telephone records that they should have had. They just don't have them. And yesterday, Donald Trump, maybe it was in the 6th, told this to the Washington Post. And in the interview, he struck a defiant posture, refusing to say whether he would testify before congressional committee investigating the Jan 6th assault. Trump also said, and this is the important stuff, that he didn't remember getting very many phone calls that day, and he denied removing call logs or using burner phones. So we know that's not true, right? These guys put together this chart showing exactly when Trump was taking calls that were logged and then when he wasn't. And this whole like gray bar section in the middle is when he was supposedly, there's no records of him making any telephone calls, but we know that he did make telephone calls, but not obviously from this main number that tracks what the president was calling, which is exactly what the committee asked for. And that leads me to the question of how did Mike Pence, Senator Tommy Tuberville, and House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, plus another person, how did they manage to get hold of him? If they knew they got on the phone with him during those seven and a half hours, where was he? Now, the obvious reasons that people have come up with so far are that he, that he had a burner phone, which most people dispute because really, can you imagine Trump going to this corner store and getting a burner phone? I don't think so. The second possibility here it was using other people's phones. It's quite possible he was using other people's phones. For seven and a half hours, like loaning a phone when you could just have your own phone seems unlikely. Maybe he wasn't even there is the other possibility. Maybe he was just out. Also not really very likely. He didn't call anyone at all. Also not likely because we know that he did call people or they weren't logged. The phone calls weren't logged at all. That's strange because they were logged just before and just after. Or maybe there's a cover-up. Maybe there's a, just a giant cover-up that's taking place and those seven and a half hours are removed. But that's weird. How did they get to that? There's no evidence to suggest that anything was taken out of the logs. So the logical conclusion for me is that he was just in a different phone. He was just somewhere else and not using that particular presidential phone line. So we know that he might have been somewhere else in the White House because according to Senator Lee, he told Brian Schott, he's a reporter of the Salt Lake Tribune. Remember those Trump calls and Giuliani, by the way, call Senator Lee and it's not Senator Lee they want to talk to. They actually want to talk to Tommy Tuberville, who they're trying to convince to help them with their scheme to defraud the American population of their rights to vote. So this is according to Senator Lee and reported by Brian Schott. I went and found Senator Tuberville, handed him the phone and explained that the president would like to speak to him. And then he said, I stood nearby for the next five or 10 minutes as they spoke, not wanting to lose my phone in the middle of a crisis. Then the Capitol Police became very nervous and ordered us to evacuate the chamber immediately as they were forcing everyone out of the chamber. I awkwardly found myself interrupting the same telephone conversation I had just facilitated. Excuse me, Tommy, we have to evacuate. Can I have my phone? Senator Tuberville promptly ended the call and returned my phone to its rightful owner. Now, interestingly enough, we know where that phone call came from. That phone call came from a number from within the White House, where it says here that the former president called the phone of Republican Senator Mike Lee with a number recorded as 202-395-0000, a placeholder number that shows up when a call is incoming from a number of White House department phones, the sources said. So I think that tells us that he was in the White House, but maybe not in his office. That to me, I mean, am I right? Does that make sense? 
Yes, from what we understand, wasn't he in the residence all day, glued to the television, fast forward and going back and rooting them on and telling everybody how great it was and then finding out that other people were like, I feel like we're going to go to jail. I think they don't, we don't know where he was. We think he was watching TV. That much we've been told. But I don't know if we know whether it was in the residence or the White House or the Oval Office. We don't know. He could have been in both places, as it turns out, because this is very much a theoretical conversation from here onwards. There are ways to get from the White House Oval Office to the residence without anyone being tracked. You know this? Either of you know this? Yes? Because no? I have no life and I spend too much time learning about this stupid shit. I have no <laughs> life and I do this for you so you can find out that there is actually a secret tunnel beneath the White House. It's a 50-year passageway that will get you from the Oval Office to the family residence on the East Wing of the White House. And that's a, this was all discovered by U.S. News and World Report when they excerpted a FBI agent, in, who former retired FBI agent, Gary Aldrich, when he wrote a book about Bill Clinton. In it, he discovered that the clandestine passage built during Ronald Reagan's presidency as a way to guard the president in a terrorist attack is certainly handy. Passing a panel on a wall adjacent to the president's restroom next to the Oval Office causes a secret door to slide open, leading to a staircase down the lighted passageway. The tunnel comes out in a storage closet from the president's private elevator in the basement of the residence. There is a second exit near the office that was once the White House barbershop in the West Wing basement. The tunnel dug in 1987 while Reagan was at Camp David or vacationing in California was called Project ZP. Removal of the earth and concrete caused a large depression south of the Rose Garden, but reporters and staffers thought it was just a natural sinkhole. Reagan once used the tunnel to sneak Richard Nixon into a private meeting on foreign policy. So that's interesting. I thought that was really interesting. I didn't know that. Did you know huh. that? So they have a, a secret passage. So if you want to sneak out, if you're the president, you just press the button on the wall and I guess it opens up and then you go downstairs into the basement. A few steps away, you're in the residence. You can do whatever you want to when you're in the residence. So, that's, so you could have been either in the residence or you could have been in the Oval Office. It sounds a little undramatic, though, for where he might be that day. It's probably a bigger possibility, I think. Dum, 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 dum. <laughs> so the next yeah, thing that comes to I mean, where, let's see, now that you mention it, there was, remember like two weeks in 2017 when they like closed the White House to like totally change out the heating, ventilation, and air conditioning, the HVAC system? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I remember, I remember that. Like, that. I, I, I want to make sure I'm not misremembering. Do you guys ever remember the White House like closing off for two solid weeks? Mm-hmm. Nope. No, it's very and rare. Any time since you were a kiddo? No. Never. Yeah. Nope. I wonder if, if there were any additional infrastructure projects that went on during that. There was period. a rose garden that was rebuilt for by the former first lady that was redone in order to have their little party, their little election yeah. party in the White House. We don't uh, call that a uh, do. We call that <laughs> the murder life, of, the, right? of the beautiful garden that was there. So it wasn't <laughs> that construction. That's what we call it, Zem. Yeah. Travesty. <laughs> They took out the roses and put in Israeli signals intelligence devices. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry, did I say that out loud? Imagine this, guys. The family that shits in gold toilets has terrible taste. Shocker. Shocker. There's also, <laughs> there was a theory as well that it was Mark Burnett who was putting out the, who was getting ready for that shot, wanted a dolly shot of the was moving tracking shot of the first lady, which they landed up including in the big special mm. that they did. And that might've been a reason that they decided to reconstruct the Rose Garden. It's quite possible that was the reason too, but who knows? We don't Remember know sure. when that dumb shit fucking did the whole thing where he flew home from Walter Reed Oh, yeah. And then ran up the stairs. And then coughed at everybody. Just, <laughs> <and he> was, <laughs> that was really I bad. can't believe 
Remember that when he left the hospital with COVID yeah. and forced the Secret Service to sit in the limousine so he could yes. wave at the crowd? <laughs> we were a like, bunch of proud boys that were out there. That was who came to see him. Oh, we God, we're sick people, man. Yeah. We need help. <laughs> There's been another bit of construction going on in the White House in recent past. This happened during the Obama era. So there is an underground bunker tunnel facility, I guess you should call it. It's always been there. It's been there for a long time. That connects the east wing of the White House to the Treasury offices across the street. And it's been a bit of disrepair over the years. So during the Obama presidency, they did this giant dig. They didn't really tell people what it was about. But clearly, after the fact, it became pretty obvious that this was a rebuild of their very tunnel or bunker that existed between the two places. So looks like a pretty big dig. looks like a pretty serious high-end sort of top security kind of dig. This is White House photos. I'm not revealing anything here that I'm not supposed to. Okay. So everyone who knows this information is pretty public that it's out there. <laughs> this is from their very nice whitehouse.gov site if you don't want to go check out what the build is all about. Now, to position everybody and to get a sense of where this tunnel really is, we're going to pull up the map. Here's the map. So let's spot the White House here. Help me here. There's the White House. Okay. So there's the East Wing. This is the residence of the White House. And there's the Rose Garden, by the way. I think that's where it is. Here's the Treasury Department on the other. Oh, let me pull this over a little bit so you can see. There's the Treasury Department. And I guess the thinking around this tunnel all along was that if there's some sort of crisis, the president could leave the White House East Wing, go into these tunnels, and there'd be these secure vaults in the basement of the Treasury Department where they could hide out in a crisis that would be high end. This has been going back ages ago. And so this is, that was the part of the plan is just to get a tunnel out to the Treasury Department. So it's quite possible still that it's not quite possible. It likely is what it's still under there. But they also have secure comms and other facilities underneath there in case there's some sort of crisis. And I, you sent me a picture today of a, Erica, maybe you can help me describe people what this picture is. It's of the comms room from a different crisis. Yeah, that's the Presidential Emergency Operations Center, I believe, on September 11th. I'm pretty sure. Which is located... So if you take like the regular old White House and like the Willard Hotel on the other side, and then in between you have the Treasury, like just a little bit west of the Treasury, that's where the Presidential Emergency Operations Center is. And it would have... So in here, we don't secure... It's somewhere in the yeah, somewhere a little down there, but yeah. we're looking at about not quite 80 yards from the east wing of the White House to the Willard Hotel where Rudy Giuliani and all them other rat bastards were that day. And what would be interesting about the emergency briefing room there, the EBR, the PEOC, as it would be marked on the logbooks, but of course, Trump, I believe didn't log any of that stuff. Like the visitor log books would say what meeting, where a meeting was held. And there are entries in the annals of when uh, briefings, like there's briefings that are done in the situation room. I just reviewed Biden's back on doing these things. And for example, I saw an individual whose name I recognized and I was like, oh, that guy's an interpreter. Oh, he's a Japanese interpreter. That's right. Oh, and they were at the situation room. It was all marked and turned out there was a call between the Japanese prime minister and President Biden. And that's why this visitor to the White House came and was escorted to the situation room, which is yeah. super, which is secret stuff happens in there. But it's still marked that you went there. Anyhow, the situation rooms upstairs. Though, um, right? There's it's also in the, in the uh, it's in the West yeah, Wing. Now that right? is, yeah. The sit rooms upstairs. Yeah. Yeah. But this, this is downstairs. This is another. 
Now, this is underground. This is the yeah. Presidential Emergency Operations Center, mm. which would be very interesting because it would have secure communications to the Pentagon yes. and maybe like the Senate mm. or, or everywhere, Hill really. or, or well, or just to certain places. And you might have TVs that you could watch, but that would be only kind of one way. You might have phones that only went to certain places. But it would be completely secure from any passersby or some any staff who might be in the White House that you think might be an informant. You could winnow down the number of people there and be monitoring what was happening on television that day. Mm. And let's say you had some reason to be in contact with the Pentagon to make sure they didn't launch a quick reaction force out of that building. Or anything, yeah. That's a place you could do that from. Yeah, you could control anything, presumably, from this. And we're basically saying here that there is a theory. It's just, this is just a theory. But it is possible for theory. Trump to get out of his Oval Office secretly, get down to the residence through that secret passage, and then find his way to this other bunt tunnel where... Sorry, we're boring you. <laughs> but you won't be bored long. <laughs> We're almost yeah, there. We almost Lord, made it to the show. Boys, yeah, sorry, God. we did lots of boy talk here. Uh, <laughs> all right, I'll keep, I'll keep it short. I'll do one more line last. No, here's that. the thing, Zeb. What I want to ask you yeah. and Eric, though, right? Yeah. So here's the thing. It's like we know he got these seven hours of call time missing. We know calls were made to individuals, but they also have testimony, even from Jared Kushner now, as to where he was all day. So I'm sure that they know. I think the mystery oh. is less physically where he was and more why all his phone activity. How could his phone activity not reflect somewhere? Forgive me for asking because I don't know this answer. I was under the impression that if he made a phone for call from either his presidential cell mm. or cells or lost. any phone in the White House, that would be in the log. So it has to be some phone that's not heard in that system. I don't understand like how this, I had never seen the stuff that you showed Zeb about mm. the phone number that showed up yeah. coming back to the White House. Eric, do you happen to know, is there some way you can use a phone from some other office and not have it be in the logs? Do you use someone else's phone? I think the only, I, I mean, a way you might do it, the interesting part geographically here is again, you're thinking 80 yards, that's, you could, if you think of somebody running quite fast, how long you'd take to get to a touchdown or whatnot. We're not talking about a long period of time to get from there to the Willard. Yeah. Where you could maybe use somebody's phone and go, let's say you were going to have stuff to talk about back and forth and you didn't want it on the books at the White House. You might get some really sensitive communications done out of that PEOC, hypothetically. Yeah. And then you could do the some other stuff by running it over to the rat bastards, Bernie Carrick and Rudy Giuliani and the other trees and weasels. Oh, by the way, since we started the show, the New York Times reported that Ali Alexander has flipped for the government. So oh. we may be getting the answers to some of these questions. Oh, that's well, a I surprise. hope so, because I'm fascinated by this idea. <laughs> and the president, if he wants to, he can issue an order so he could have had that tunnel going. He could have been bringing people in through the tunnel for all we yeah. know. He can do whatever the hell he wants. This is a man that forced the Secret Service into a potential death trap and to parade around. <laughs> and they can't. The Secret Service can't tell us. They're not like, it's not like that in that role you can tell us. It's in their uh, name. It's the secret the part. Secret, yeah. Yeah. Secret it's on, service, the, it's right? on the business card. All these people went into the Willard Hotel. Giuliani was there. He had his little war room. Drew right. Stone was in there. There was 50 other people, According to witnesses, high level people who were in the Willard Hotel who never came out during the entire event. There's this giant historic event happening on their doorstep that they came to see, 
but they don't actually go out to see it. They just go into the Willard Hotel and never emerge. So either they're just hanging out hotel rooms, as they like to tell us to believe, or they were having their secret war room conversations as Giuliani and Eastman were having. Or maybe it's possible that they could have gone in and out through this tunnel and through the Treasury Department and got into the White House secret tunnel operations room and had all sorts of conversations going back and forth. It's not inconceivable. There is literally, look how close. This is the Willard here. <laughs> it's right here. This is the entrance to the Treasury Department. And then this is the tunnel that goes into the East Room. So once you're in here, no one would know the difference. You'd be underground into the White House complex pretty quickly. I'm not saying that's happened. Zev, you said something I think is really interesting, too. It's like they came for this event. Okay. So either they're special guests of the White House and the president, and you would think that they'd want to be at the event if they came for this event. And the fact that they never leave the room, never attend the event suggests that they knew they needed to be in a staging situation. They needed a war room. Why else would they be there? And it is odd that they never left the room. It's like they never intended to go to the event. And if they really truly expected it to just be a speech and a rally, why would they come and then not go to the White House? It's pretty strange. So if you had an operations room running all this downstairs under the White House East Wing, that would be interesting because then it would be more easy to understand why all the events happened the way they did that day and why there was so much reluctance for him to come out. And did they have visibility inside the events that were going on in the Capitol that we weren't aware of? That's also a possibility. It's none of this is a lot of conjecture. And I'm going to just keep repeating this to people because I don't want to say that I'm just being a conspiracy theorist, but it is interesting that you got. Yeah, you're the president of the United States and you don't want people to sit around and conjecture about your missing seven and a half hours, then don't go off the grid. (laughs) Don't go off the grid. Use the same phone. Right. On the day where you're suspected of hosting a coup that capstoned into an insurrection of the Capitol. Probably. <laughs> yeah, it would really explain, Eric, to your point, why the maybe the Pentagon didn't do anything that day and why they were so reluctant to move in and why there was all this guidance towards the National Guard to stand down and why the Secret Service seemed to be aware. There seemed to be a lot of knowledge by a lot of people not to do anything that day. And how would that have happened if we weren't communicated to them from the president? It just seems like that's where the order would have come from. Yeah, because they're known as, I think the slang for it is O-plan, operational plans. If this happens, then this gets deployed and this goes back and forth. Yeah. And a lot of that stuff works whether or not automatically they may need to get authority from the president to do it, but they may also have plans to do something automatically unless there's some reason not to do it. It would depend on the operational plan that's going to be classified. But here's something that gets me. Didn't they call the thing, it's like the Willard War Room? But you know what's interesting about the Presidential Emergency Operations Center mm-hmm. is it's actually built as a war room. Yes, so this is the actual war room. In here is the actual, the war, actual room. war room. Yeah. Why would you call that the war room versus the Willard well, well, Hotel War Room, which is just a meeting room? Because Rudy was he's clownish. Mm. figure right and so is bannon you know there's 18 shirts and smelling of nine-year-old gin and whatnot (laughs) it's all a big joke right but they made the national guard stand down and allow democracy be subject to attempted murder much less clownish so it's oh they're at the willard and it's these people that you've seen on television and their shitty podcasts and like why else is steve bannon out there doing this podcast is he's this he's not a dumb man at all but he has this shtick going right and these guys are this close 
But the real action here is not Roger Stone ginning up his buddies from the Oath Keepers, though they were critical that day. But the real action is the fact that the Department of Defense under Trump appears to have engaged in a conspiracy to allow possibly the murder of elected officials. And this was obviously a coordinated operation, right? But in order to prove that in court, let's say a court martial for any of the people in DOD who held a rank that day and had a responsibility or capital crimes, let's get it out there, treason and seditious Mm. conspiracy. You have to have a state of mind but just to prove conspiracy. Now, we've gotten as far with the, I forget if it's the Proud Boys or the Oath Keepers, the Auxiliary Treason Association, whatever you want to call the guys in the golf carts and with their stupid polo shirts. But the, you know, the, the real conspiracy there, they're fun to look at. And they're, these guys running around in paintball gear. But the real problem was that we had a, we, the Department of Defense stood down our nation's actual strongest in the world defense. That's the real stood it down yeah. on purpose yep. so that possibly these guys could have murdered Nancy Pelosi, dragged Pence off and then justified yep. in, in insurrection. And we have enough people testifying about that. But this is an important detail because it's now coming down to, wait a minute, did these guys work together? And I think mm-hmm. the proximity issue and the communications issue is very important. And that seven hour window is important because wait a minute, you're off the grid for seven hours and you're within walking distance of these guys. Right. If you coordinated this shit straight out of the White House, you all need to be executed in public. It would be pretty uh, horrific if that's the case. It's the implications here. If this were true, it's just really horrific because you're talking about well, a... Please, uh, if I set the war room up in the Willard, right, where they don't downstairs. control it, when they could have done the Trump Hotel, you can walk, theoretically, mm. you can walk to the Willard secretly. You, you cannot do that from the Trump Hotel. And they did everything thing else through the Trump Hotel. Right? It is a because very unusual do. location. Right. It's the only one right. that has, seems to have this kind of access. It just seems weird to me. And I remember thinking that's weird. Well, I, it didn't connect in this way or anything. I just remember when I first read about the war room where, mm. where these guys were, where Giuliani was at. I remember thinking the Willard. That's weird. Why not Trump Hotel? Yeah, it really is weird that they were, that it shows the Willard. And there's the Mayflower. There's lots of places to stay. This is uh, exactly the one place you would stay if you needed to get access to the White House really quickly and secretly. You would do that through the Treasury Department. You would go unnoticed, really. Who's checking the entrance of the Treasury Department? If there isn't some sort of underground entrance between the two things as well, who knows if the Willard is interconnected to the Treasury Department somehow? It's not inconceivable that that also is a possibility. But certainly there's a tunnel between the Treasury Department and the White House East Wing. And certainly those men could be moving back and forth much easier than Donald Trump could. Yeah, exactly. So So lots of questions worth pondering. I wouldn't normally raise it unless I thought that there were just so many circumstantial questions that you have to ask. I got to play this because it's funny. It is Friday. This is where Roger Stone wants us to believe he was all day. This is shot inside the Willard by the person you're about to see. She's his companion for the day. Here we are in Roger Stone's suite watching the situation on the Capitol unfold. We are safe and sound. Safe and sound. That's the Manhattan madam, I think, who's her name. Maybe she's the Hollywood madam. That was his. It's almost like she's trying to make sure he's got a. Alibi. Alibi, exactly. Which put that so on Instagram? To me, dude. I don't yeah. know. 
It does. It looks, it looks weird. It looks weird. The whole thing looks weird. Um, if I was trying to prove I wasn't involved in the insurrection physically. Like that's how I would do it. Yeah. So. Yeah. You would, you would have the Hollywood <laughs> madam there with you. <laughs> Pretty sure I would do it nicer than that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there you go. Oh, <laughs> uh, I'm laughing because it's a bit funny, but it's also pretty serious, obviously. Hey, that's the end of the hour. Boy, that was the fun, fast hour. Y'all don't have to go home, but you can't stay here. Do <laughs> you have plans for the rest of the weekend? Eric, anything fun and interesting and exciting happening in your part of the world? We never got your story, by the way. We'll have to get no, to the next time. No, intense research. Because look, we're actually, I'm not entirely joking about that. We're really getting down to the story here. This is a mm-hmm. big deal. I think it is a big deal. It's um, on the after show and we're having fun with it because it's the after show, but it's actually a really surreal, <laughs> interesting story. And I think we'll get into it a little bit more next week because there's other aspects that really require some real, real digging into. And hopefully our viewers who are brilliant at this can also do that. Eric Garland is at Eric Garland. It can also be found at Game Theory Today is what his podcast is called. Hamilton is back in town. Hey, Hammy. Oh, hi, Hammy. <laughs> Rachel Bittercoffer. <laughs> this is like literally, he does this every day. He just knows. Like, it. All right. That was, a good, that was a good tension. That's a good Friday night tension breaker. That's a good yeah, it is. <laughs> so, uh, that's so I don't think people believe me when I tell them, look, my dog gives me a five o'clock hug every day and tells oh, me it's, it's time to get off the phone. It is time. <laughs> Hamilton needs his own awesome. uh, Twitter account, but they can, you can find Rachel Bittercoffer at Rachel Bittercoffer. <laughs> Interesting show. I think you'll agree. We uh, spent a lot of time researching that and figuring out exactly where all the tunnels were and trying to understand if there was any other logic for Donald Trump uh, co-conspirators, really, in this coup to be at the Willard uh, versus any other hotel. And that is about as far as we got in that investigation, but it has not been responded to yet by anybody else. It's the first uh, but we put it out in the air. And that is exactly why we ask viewers like you to support Patreon, because it's a kind of research, a kind of investigation no one else is doing. No one else is thinking like our team is thinking. And therefore, we're getting different kinds of information to you about what may have happened that day. And we certainly know that a lot of what we do impacts both uh, things that happen at uh, Capitol Hill and elsewhere. We would love to hear from you. If you're on YouTube right now, I'm here to answer your questions for the next little bit of time. So I'll do that until maybe the top of the hour. But I did want to keep you up to date about what was going on with Merrick Garland today. You know, this was spectacularly big news. The raid on Mar-a-Lago itself was big news this week. But now that we have confirmation that the Department of Justice is, is had no other choice, really, but to attempt to get this information or the documents they were seizing based on the fact that they were simply stopped by Donald Trump in previous attempts. There was a subpoena issued to Donald Trump and uh, asking for the same documents. In fact, he refused to do that. And now the only other option was for Mary Garland, the Attorney General of the Justice Department, to go in there and get it in, in a raid. That's exactly what they needed to do because guess what? This is all stuff that is not you know, personal to Donald Trump. It's personal to Donald Trump, but it's also very important to national security. And that's the thing that everyone needs to remember here before you know, Fox News and the GOP get so bent out of shape. This is about the national security of America and about who he may have been helping along the way during his presidency, who is corrupt as anything, as we know. Was he helping people and is he hiding the evidence that he's helping people inside Mar-a-Lago? And that is why the documents in question here are so specific and so important. And we're asking you to, to join us tonight in explaining some of this to you by showing you some of the documents we think it may be 
So that's coming up in just a few seconds. But first, let me read to you about what Mary Garland said today. The Attorney General Mary Garland said the Justice Department will ask a court to unseal the search warrant, allowing it to search Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago residence earlier this week. The department filed the motion to make public the warrant and receipt in light of the former president's public confirmations of the search. So in other words, the first time we heard about this was that Donald Trump said, hey, my place is being searched, which means that once he said that, it's fair game for the Department of Justice and for Mary Garland to step out and talk about why they're taking this next step. And because it's being publicly revealed that there was a search, well, then the Attorney General can say that there is a public confirmation of the search, the surrounding circumstances, and the substantial public interest in this matter, Garland said in a press conference. Now, what will happen is tomorrow, a judge will be have an opportunity to decide if it should be unsealed, if these documents of the search warrant should be unsealed. I doubt we'll see documents. We may see the, the search warrant. And we'll know if this will happen only at, after 3 p.m. because at that time, Donald Trump has a deadline. He can object to the release of these documents, the unsealing of these documents, which seems to run contrary to what he's been talking about currently in public. Or he can say, no, 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 I am um, I, happy to have these released. If he objects to these being released, they go back into secrets. And we know that it's fact Donald Trump who's trying to keep the secret secrets. And what might be in these documents? We might speculate. Now, I would argue, and I did this publicly, so you cannot say that this is some sort of, um, you know, something I've just added on lately or just think about lately. There is only one really important set of documents that I really am dying to get my hands on. And that set of documents is something I alluded to way back in April of this year in this tweet that sort of caught a little bit of fire. It wasn't one of, you know, it wasn't the biggest of tweets, but certainly some people paid attention to the fact that it was out there. And um, this we're going to try to put it in full screen. Um, there is a you know, reason I'm putting it up here, and that's because I think this is exactly the document they're looking for right now. You won't be able to see it in full, but there you go. What it says here is I would, I, for one, would like to read the Trump MBS transcripts. So what am I talking about? What am I talking about when I say I, for one, would like to read the Trump MBS transcripts? You will remember that we found out that there was lots of conversations between Jared Kushner and Mohammed bin Salman, the crown prince of Saudi Arabia, around the Khashoggi murder, both before and after the Khashoggi murder. And it also involved Donald Trump at the time saying that he was supportive of the crown prince and he was on their side. So is this a document of national security interest that we are waiting for, that we've been wanting to see that Donald Trump was just refusing to release? He might have been doing it to, to maybe to support uh, Jared Kushner's $2 billion effort in investment that he just received from the Saudi crown prince, or it might be for something else. Maybe there's a reason he has to has decided he wants to keep this. So that's my vote for what's in those safes and in, in the documents and in exactly what needs to be released by Donald Trump and the Department of Justice now has an imperative to get this for national security reasons. We need to know what Donald Trump and Jared Kushner and Mohammed bin Salman said to each other around those times. Because if, in fact, this guy, Jared Kushner, was involved in any way in the murder of uh, Jamal Khashoggi, we need to know that because that is obviously various levels of crime. You can speculate on what that might be. You know, we certainly know the friendship between Mohammed bin Salman and Jared Kushner goes way further than just your typical let's be buddies thing. I mean, you know, in the past, the Crown Prince has said that he's got Jared Kushner in his pocket. We've also been aware that Jared Kushner may have given him an entire enemies list of people to track down that included Jamal Khashoggi that were his enemies to help him coordinate the state. So, this is what I think is going to be, we are going to discover in the next few days, is the key issue is what exactly is in those documents that would make Donald Trump refuse a subpoena? You know, who is he protecting? Is he protecting Jared Kushner? Is he protecting 
the crown prince of Saudi Arabia. And this is super important stuff, not just because of Jamal Khashoggi being a, a historic, iconic writer and being killed and and uh, his body cut up in pieces and, and disposed of in the most horrific way, but because this is a case to, to figure out where Saudi Arabia really is. Uh, are they allies of the United States or are they allies of other countries that are interested in doing harm to the United States? Are they the ones responsible for targeting dissidents in the way that so many dissidents have been targeted? And are they the ones that are standing in the way of trying to get a full understanding of what happened during those years when Kushner and Donald Trump were so close, Mnuchin, so close to the Saudis, dripping with money, dripping with millions and millions of dollars of investment every time they came back from Saudi Arabia? Well, what was going on there? You know, what was really going on there? Why did the United States at the time, turn its eye on this horrific murder. And we know basically the answer is because MBS and Donald Trump were in business together. They're buddies. They, um, Saudi Arabia had a lot of investment in the Trump empire. And certainly we know that the Saudis and Jared Kushner's family were very, very close. To the point where, as I said, uh, the Saudi prince once said that Jared Kushner was in his pocket. We certainly believe that to be 100% true. So, Again, the documents that I think I would love to see, the documents on top of my list, if I was asking for any documents from the Trump era that I think we really needed to see, it would be the documents that I mentioned just now. These are the MBS Trump transcripts that were, you'll remember, classified and made top secret, but put into a different classification system and storage area. They were not put into the way you would normally put your traditional top secret conversations, which is why the world will never know unless we get these documents, which apparently we might be getting, you know, we'll never know the truth about MBS and Trump unless these things are released. And it looks like the Department of Justice is darn keen on getting them out there. So let's see what happens in the next few days. Hopefully by tomorrow night, we could know exactly if these are the documents. I have a good reason to believe that these are some of the documents that they're really centered around, that they're investigating this incredible amount of corruption that may have occurred involving Jared Kushner and Donald Trump and MBS, and also the UAE's involved in all of this. There's that nuclear deal. You remember, it's a very complicated set of corrupt dealings that were underway. And that is, in my opinion, exactly what they are trying to achieve by getting these documents now, you'll remember, you know, there was a series of events that happened in 2017 involving Trump and MBS. It was a dinner that MBS came to town for a big state dinner. Kushner was present there. We know that there was, you know, various visits back and forth to the Saudis uh, involving a huge arms deal, a $110 billion arms deal that was at some point they tried to stop that, but couldn't. But we, you know, it just helps you understand the amount of money and the amount of corruption that was floating around between Jared Kushner and Donald Trump and MBS and the Crown Prince of, the, of Saudi Arabia. Now, Biden is just back off a visit from uh, Saudi Arabia. He was just there the other day. They had a very frank conversation and included Khashoggi. Is this, in fact, one of the things that came up in that conversation? You know, maybe, sir, you should consider uh, lowering those oil prices you're keeping the West hostage for because, you know, we happen to have transcripts of those conversations. Who knows? Maybe that was a subtext of that conversation. Certainly oil prices have stayed quite low since then. So that is, you know, one prediction of what might be out there, what might be coming in the next few days. And, you know, it certainly blunts a lot of the Fox News criticism that, you know, Oh, the president has been somehow raided by these corrupt FBI people who are planting evidence. This is nonsense. Of course, there's no planting of evidence. This is evidence that we know has existed for years. So 
you know, you can scratch that off the list. There's no, there's absolutely no planting of evidence here because we know that these have been hidden by the former president and Jared Kushner and his cohorts in the White House for, you know, three or four years now. So five years now. So, uh, you know, I think we're in an interesting era and boy, would I be happy to see Jared Kushner and company prosecuted for what is an incredible amount of corruption that took place during those years. No Saudi crown prince should ever be able to say about any assistant or strategist or whatever advisory title Jared Kushner gave himself on the way into the White House. No one should ever be able to say if they're the Saudi crown prince that they have that man or that woman in their pocket. There should be no level of corruption at that point. And that should be unacceptable to every American, regardless of your political party, regardless of whether, you know, Jared Kushner was a GOP or not, you cannot have foreign governments running the executive branch of the United States under any circumstances. And that is what we went through for four horrific years under Donald Trump. So this is a legitimate investigation. You know, Fox News and everyone else who's saying out there that this is not legitimate. This is extremely legitimate investigation involving national security. Donald Trump refused to honor his subpoena. And that is why the Department of Justice had no choice but to go in and do this investigation by force, by going in, raiding Mar-a-Lago offices, but giving him all the notice and allowing him not even to, you know, complete privacy. They offered him that they were not going to say anything. They did not, in fact, say anything about the raid. It was he who said something about the raid. And why is he saying it about the raid? In order to discredit the FBI. The whole point behind all of this is for Donald Trump and the GOP to discredit the FBI, which is doing terrific, important work and trying to understand exactly what happened during those Trump years. And of course, the FBI and the GOP want nothing of it. They want no investigation of their corruption over those years when they're selling out to foreign governments around the world, whether it's China or Russia or Saudi Arabia. This is who they decided to sell themselves to. This is who they decided to be their masters. Well, guess what? It's time to pay up because the results of a legitimate investigation are going to show very clearly that the GOP is as corrupt as anything. And that Donald Trump led the GOP in the most corrupt presidency of history. And it's a dark stain on American history. And it's time for the GOP, those who have any sort of you know, foresight of what might be coming in the next months, you know, it's not looking good fellow GOPers, or not fellow GOPers, but GOPers. You have to sort of realize that this is not a good trajectory, Ron, that this is getting worse and worse and worse by the weeks. I mean, so many investigations about the former president. All of them are going to continue. They're all going to find out sooner or later that you were maybe involved in that corruption and that you are perhaps as as beholden to the crown prince as, as Jared and others. You know, we might find that some of that money went all the way down to the senators and the congressmen. And if they did, you know, it would look bad for all of you in your careers and perhaps your political party. It's time for people with principles to stand up it was time for people with principles to stand up a long time ago. But in the absence of that, it's time for some of those people who have principles to stand up now and explain exactly how their party was bought by the Saudis, their party was bought by Beijing, their party was bought by Moscow, and that now we are stuck unraveling this giant mess, which included billions and billions and billions of dollars, if not trillions of dollars, of theft from the American people. So I'm not saying this is a promise. I'm not saying I know for sure this was in there. But my anticipation is that those documents are revolving Jared and MBS. I might be wrong. I've been wrong before, maybe once or twice. I don't know. Uh, but And I'll be here to apologize if I am wrong. But I think this is where we're heading on the story. If not, I'll be uh, you know happy to do whatever eat crow in front of you as I like to do whenever I do get anything wrong. Thank you very much for being here tonight. This was just meant to be a little special to remind people how important it is that you help support narrative into our next season. Because, you know, we stick our neck out because we believe that there is 
truth in the world that needs to be told and that others are not telling that truth. It's not easy sometimes. You know, we've had, I've had personally an enormous amount of, of foreign intelligence operatives who are dressed up as domestic political opinion makers, but they're not. These are people who are working for foreign governments in order to control and disrupt the narrative on Twitter and elsewhere. They're working to get you, the viewers, and to get other Twitter's users basically follow their line of thinking. They are here to basically be the controllers of what is put out there by everybody, by the left just as much as the right. I've called them the alt-left, and you're going to see the alt-left getting more and more prominent over the next few years as they do, these foreign governments do to the left wing of the political spectrum what they did to the right wing with this kind of fascisty approach to thinking this person can't talk, but that person can talk. You can talk about these things, but you can't talk about those things. That is what is being developed on the left wing by people who are pretending to be operating in the public interest. What they're actually doing is they're being organized by foreign intelligence organizations who funnel money through all sorts of uh, illegal companies and other ways into the United States. And then they get set up with their you know, influence machines and their podcasts and suddenly their podcasts are hugely successful because, you know, you've got all these robots that are basically logging in and pretending to be viewers. It's quite an enormous amount of pressure that we've all been feeling, those of us who are actually legitimately here, trying to do what we know we should be doing, which is revealing the truth. There are not actually many of us who are here doing this job of revealing what's going on that aren't influenced by foreign entities or unpaid for by foreign entities. And that's going to be a bit of a shocker to all of you, but that's just the truth. And people can come after me. They've come after me plenty of times. And it's been tough because as an independent journalist, you know, we have, I got bills to pay. I've got contributors to, to pay. I've got all sorts of bills to pay around how to get narrative on the air every, every month. And, and we were doing really, really well until, you know, there was a move that decided to destroy or attempt to destroy my reputation. I don't talk about that that much because I have moved on and I believe we're going to be better and stronger for it because we're now much more careful about who we let on the air, but we're also much more certain that what we're doing really matters. So we know that they're so annoyed by us that they're putting out this effort because we're doing the stuff that no one else is willing to do. We're putting out the truth in a way that's, you know, in, by anyone's standard, we do not care what, where it comes from. We just want to make sure the truth gets out there and we do it with humility, but we also do it because we know it has to be done. This, these are stories, you know, whether it's Jared Kushner taking money from the Saudis, the killing of Khashoggi or not revealing the killing of Khashoggi or whatever his involvement was. These are the kinds of stories that need to be out there. They need to be told or we continue to have a government that is overtaken by foreign influence. And so... It's imperative that we keep asking these questions, that we keep telling these stories and understanding truly where the power play is coming from. A lot of the time, what you see on TV, whether it's Lindsey Graham being whatever crazy piece of nonsense he wants to put out on one day, or whether it's Marjorie Taylor Greene doing her bit, it's all often choreographed externally. It's choreographed by foreign powers who want to do certain things, who want to create an illusion, who want to distract you. And so you focus on all these other things, but you're not focused on the real stories, which is the $2 billion deal to Jared Kushner. And that's been what we've done all along at Narrative. Since day one, my whole thing was we're going to do is what we can to get as much opinion out there that is uh, constructed based on actual facts. There is a, a narrative we can tell on what is open source facts. And we'll put a timeline together for those stories. And we're going to try to construct that narrative for everybody. So that it becomes an understanding 
of what was going on from 2016 onwards. And it has been an honor and a privilege to be able to do that. I, it's the best use of my skills of my lifetime. It may not be um, productive in terms of making me a lot of money, but it certainly is incredibly productive for me as a human being to be able to do this work and to share it with you every week as we do for free and to share it with uh, people who make policy in the United States and also around the world so that they can understand exactly what's been going on. And all of that contributes to the enormous betterment of our potential of defeating what is ultimately an attack on democracy. We're still in the middle of it. I mean, you can't pretend that we've won the democracy safe and that democracy isn't coming around the corner. We see what China is doing, we see what Russia is doing. They're still going for it. The GOP is still going for it. They still intend to end democracy in, in the United States. And it's going to require ordinary citizens in each of these states, especially the red states, to start listening to the truth and try to identify the truth and try to research for the truth and really tell the difference between what is a Fox News talking point and what is the actual event. And one of the ways they can do that is through narrative. So, you know, I am not, I'm not a fan of coming out here week after week saying, you know, please donate, please donate. But we really do need you to help us do this because at patreon.com forward slash narrative is where you can be a producer. You can be an actual funder of this content. You can know that your hard earned wages are going somewhere that is actually going to make a difference to society, that is actually going to be able to shine a light on the truth that like nobody else has been able to do. And then we've got a track record of doing that. And yes, you'll see criticisms of me and other people probably written sometimes from the same people who are involved in the criticism, because that's kind of weird. That happens. It happens from time to time. They can say what they want to say. Uh, we know what we're doing here is making sure that you get the truth or as close to the truth as we can establish it. And that is something that is more important, I think, these days than, you know, whether your podcast is doing particularly well or whether you're, you know, on MSNBC or not. Although that certainly seems to be part of the strategy there as well. So we are asking you to please donate at patreon.com forward slash narrative. So many of you have done so many great things and donated so much. I always feel terrible asking again. I'm not asking those guys to keep donating, please. Your, your generosity has been fantastic. But if you haven't yet registered, Think about it. It's $10 a month. You get to know that you've uh, invested in, in truth. You've invested in your future generations, that they have a democracy that they can live off and on. And that, you know, that the American story continues. We do not want the American story to end. The American story is one of potential. It's one of beauty. It's one of possibility. It's one of freedom and equality. These are the things we stand for narrative. These are the things that we do in our reporting in order to make sure that we remember how important it is that democracy stays intact, that those things we cherish, those values are hard to get. You know, I grew up in an autocracy. I can tell you exactly that it's not a good place to live. You do not feel good in democracy. You do not feel free in a democracy. And the government is everywhere checking in on everything that you're doing and, and why you're doing it and who you might be speaking to and why you're speaking to them. This is not America. America is going to be, continue to be a shining light for the rest of the world by being an incredibly open, beautiful, democratic environment. And it's leaders like Joe Biden who are doing it. What a remarkable week Joe Biden has had. You know, uh, I had, a, I had a graphic here because I was doing this whole promo because I was wasn't sure that everyone was going to pay attention to how absolutely awesome he's been. You know, Superman, this Joe Biden has achieved what other people have not been able to achieve in decades. I mean, this incredible amount of legislation that's just come through in the last just few weeks is, is mind boggling. And it's stuff that you might think, oh, you, who cares about semiconductors? Care about semiconductors. Semiconductors is how America gets to win against China. Semiconductors is how we get to build a technology infrastructure that isn't reliant on the Chinese. That is semiconductors. It is huge 
huge legislation. It's also legislation that is going to make us leaders in quantum mechanics, leaders in uh, artificial intelligence. It's a remarkable, remarkable piece of legislation that they put through. It's going to be one of the things that we look back over time and say, that bill saved America and Joe Biden did it. I mean, you know, a few months ago, a few weeks ago, you could not say nice thing about this guy on mainstream media. I gather people have now figured out that you should be saying nice things about him. If anybody said any doubts in your world about Joe Biden's presidency, they got to shake themselves. Joe Biden may land up being the best president in, in American history. Certainly, maybe this is Truman. I mean, this is an incredible leader that we have here. We may not be most succinct and, uh, and maybe not as, as coherent a speaker that sometimes people say is a drawback for him. Although I, th- I find him quite inspiring all the time. But, you know, yeah, he stutters. We understand that. That's a disability that he's had to deal with all his life. So maybe he's not Barack Obama in that regard. But in absolutely everything else, his legislation, his ability to reduce oil prices, gas prices. Who is, which president has ever been able to do that? Reduce gas prices. I've never seen that. His ability to you know, tackle inflation the way he's been able to do. His ability to go around the world, build a, a NATO alliance to tackle Ukraine, to really put uh, Vladimir Putin in a corner. His ability to go to, to MBS and the crown prince, who he used to call a pariah, and say to him, yeah, I still think you're a pariah, but I'm going to need your help. This is the kind of leader that America needs. This is the kind of leader that America is going to look back on. And I truly believe he's going to say that he's one of the greatest presidents of all time. Uh, you know, please make sure you tell that to anyone else who tells you that Joe Biden is not a great president. Joe Biden is a, a remarkable, remarkable leader. We're very lucky to have him because the contrast looked a little like something like this. Remember, you know, there was a time when um, we didn't have a president that went up to Mohammed bin Salman and questioned what he was involvement was in the murder of Khashoggi. Uh, there was a time when it looked like this, when an American president had talks with Mohammed bin Salman and a Saudi delegation, and the question of Khashoggi came up. And this is what it looked like, if you'll remember. This is how the old, the former president of the United States reacted to this question. Mr. President, address the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, sir, with the uh, Crown Prince. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Yeah. Didn't want to respond. Didn't want to touch it. More worried about his investment. More worried about billions of dollars he was going to get from on the side. This is the kind of president that the GOP wants to put up again as a presidential candidate. And this is why... His home has been raided, in my opinion. So uh, hopefully we'll know in the next few days exactly whether my prediction is that, uh, you know, Jared Kushner is the reason and the uh, Khashoggi murder is the reason that they are desperately trying to get their hands on transcripts, which are of national security importance. We look forward to seeing that. Hopefully I would love to read those transcripts. I mean, they'll be so revealing. So to all of you, thank you for being here tonight. I thought the conversation with Rachel Bittercoffer and Eric was just fascinating about those bunkers. I mean... It sure seems to me that these guys are, uh, you know, connected underground maybe during this January the 6th day. And maybe they had a few conversations off the side that didn't need to be logged by any presidential log. We'll find out more of that later on. We're going to reveal it all um, when the season begins in September. All right. Um, Good night, everybody. Thanks for being here. We will be back with a couple of encores because there's still some great shows we want to recap and show for you. Last thought, of course, patreon.com forward slash narrative is where you want to be. Sign up for either the $10 or the $5, but preferably the $10 membership. And it's how you get to be a funder. You get to be a producer of the best season of narrative yet. That's all coming in the next, uh, under a month. Wow. Better get to work. Good night, everybody. Narrative is made possible by viewers like you. Join today and support truly independent journalism at patreon.com forward slash narrative. That's patreon.com 
forward slash narrative.